Amen, amen. Um, we are in a series. This is part two um, of a series called Directions, um, how we go about making not just good decisions, but godly decisions. And uh, in this series, I'll just tell you, we got the, this is week two, a couple of more weeks, and they will get more and more practical over the next couple of weeks. What we've done in kind of um, chapter or number one, the first one, uh, was to say um, we need to lay a foundation of, of committing daily to seek Him. You don't find God's will apart from Him, and it's not a matter of God just kind of dispensing advice uh, like a fortune cookie uh, that gets cracked open, and you find your lottery numbers on one side, and uh, you know some saying from a Hallmark card on the other side uh, that you can take leave or say, "Oh, that's nice" or whatever. Instead, God gives us His His plan, His best, His commands, His His uh, His uh, precepts, and so we need to live according to that. This is not advice that he's giving. This is revelation that he's giving. And so we need to live in light of that. Therefore, we say we commit daily to seek him. That's where we started last week. Um, today, uh, we're going to look at kind of what his end game is. Where, where is he taking us ultimately? And we're going to find it here in the book of Romans. Let me ask this to get us started. Uh, if we're leaving here, we're going to go to San Antonio. How are we going to get there? Somebody just tell me. We're going to take I-10 West, right? Is that the only way to get there? What else can we do? We could fly. Okay, I mean, just jump on at Hobby Southwest Airlines, the company plane, as they say. Just zip over to, uh, yeah, yes, we could easily uh, do that. And just to crack another United joke, you know, okay, no, just leave it at that. All right, enough, enough, enough. Okay, what, what, how else can we get there? We could go to Corpus Christi. Anybody up for that trip right there? Go all the way down? We could go to the godforsaken land of Dallas, up 45, and then down 35 to get all the way there. We could go up 290 to Austin. We could take 90 all the way across and you know go through all the little bitty towns that the interstate bypasses now. I mean, we could do all of those things, right? I point that out to say there is a really easy way to get from here to, I mean, excuse me, to uh, San Antonio. Um, but there are a multitude of ways to actually get there. Some of them actually may be more desirable than I-10. Uh, some of them may be more scenic. Some of them may be more difficult. But there are multiple ways to get there. I say this to say, uh, I mean, I give that little illustration to point this out. Some of us live with this idea that and when it comes to the will of God, that it is very linear, that it starts at point A and it ends at point B, and there's a straight line uh, between um, A and B, that we live with this myth that God's will is linear. And what I'm here to tell you is, when it comes to our experience of living with God in this relationship with Him, because it's a living, breathing relationship, um, there's nothing linear about it. How many of you would describe your key relationships as linear? Start at point A, end at point B, very smooth in between. Nobody does. Nobody does. So the misconception is this, uh, that God's will is linear. And it starts, uh, I guess, the question that kind of undergirds that, the thought that undergirds that is, surely an all-powerful, uh, all-knowing God would have just a single path for me to get from here to there. And the answer is, there is an easier path to get from here to there. There are scenic paths to get from here to there, and there are difficult paths to get from here to there. Our choices matter, and they are consequential, and they are real. So we have to, we have to figure all that out. But there is not a single way to get from here um, to there. Um, it, because he is all-knowing, and because he is all-powerful, because he is legitimately sovereign over the world, then um, he can take us from point A to point B in any number of ways that he wants us to go. In any number of ways that he interacts with us as we move along um, through this life. 
Um, if, if you get in your mind that there's only a single way to get from point A to point B, uh, one of two things will, will happen. And I saw this a lot when I was in college ministry, and so I'm going to use a couple of kind of college uh, uh, ministry examples, but you can apply this in your life. The first one is you'll be paralyzed by fear. If you think that there's only a single path from here to there, you're going to be paralyzed by fear. What does that mean? Well, uh, you know, I'm supposed to meet the one in chemistry lab my second semester of my sophomore year. The only problem is... I signed up for biology lab, not chemistry lab. What am I going to do? Because now she's going to meet some other guy, fall in love with him, and then like the butterfly effect, chaos is in order, and like it's all going. I mean, the whole world is broken because I took biology instead of chemistry. I guess I'll never actually make it. I'll never actually be happy. I'll never... What? What? And so... People who hear that and kind of receive that and, and, and live with that thought, then uh, they get locked into this. Um, as they're making this decision, they say, biology or chemistry? Biology or chemistry? I don't know which one to take. I don't know which one to take. They get paralyzed by fear. And oftentimes they don't make any choice. They just, I don't know what to do. Somebody else do it. This paralysis. The, the other way that that happens, though, um, and again, as a pastor, you see some, sometimes uh, you see this in marriage counseling and other ways, uh, specifically you know, related to marriage and, and relationships. Is, well, I don't think I married the right person. Well, why do you think that? Well, because I'm in love with the other person. That's funny. You know how you know that you married the one? Because you married that one like you married. That's how you know that they're the one because you married them. Well, but I really think I'm in love with the other person. Then you need to cut off that and, and grow this. Quit fertilizing that. Fertilize this. People often justify their sin because they think that, that somehow, some way, they got off the path and they know the best way to get back on the path. Point A, point B, God's got a single path. Oh, I'm off track here. I'm going to fix this in some way. That's not how this works, folks. It's not how this works. Either you get paralyzed by fear or justify your sin, either of which is bad. And I'll just say this, the ends absolutely, positively, never, ever, ever, never justify uh, the means. So... Um, and then I, I will caveat, not caveat, but really just try to expand this, maybe this and say, uh, people who think that God's will is linear from A to B, they mistake that God's primary goal is to get you to a destination. So hear me say that one more time. They mistake that they think, and this is their mistake, they think that God's primary plan uh, his primary will, his primary thing is to get you to a destination. But the destination is not really about a where or what at all. It's really about a who. It's really about a who. And so I want to get us now into the text. This is Romans chapter 8. Look at verse 28. We'll read 28, 29, 30 together. Um, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Now, let's all just collectively wrap our arms around that verse and say thank you, God, for giving us that as a gift right there. That, that God can take all sorts of junk, all sorts of problems, all sorts of issues, and all sorts of um, entanglements and go, hey, listen, I can figure this out and I can work this out. An all-knowing, all-powerful, sovereign God, he's really, really great at that kind of stuff. Verse 29. For those, And there's some theological language in here I don't want you to get lost in, but just hang in here with me. For those whom he foreknew... He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn, Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers. 
And those, in other words, he, he would have people who look like him. Verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. I don't want you to miss what's really going on here uh, because the primary destination of Jesus, the primary thing is not a where, but a who. And, and the who is you and the, uh, being conformed to the image of the Son of, of God. Um, better than asking the why question, why is this happening to me? Better than asking the what question, oh my gosh, I'm not sure what's, what's really going on, is asking, okay, God, how then are you going to use whatever issue I'm facing, whatever uh, situation I'm in, whatever circumstance I find myself in, how are you going to use this to conform me to the image of his son? Do you see in verse 29, that's his plan. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, here we go, to be conformed to the image of his son. Don't miss that. That's his plan. What is God doing in the situation that I'm in? He's conforming you into the image of his son. That's what he's doing. Well, what about over here in this particular area of my life? What's he doing? He's conforming you to the image of his son. That's what he does. That's what his plan is. That's what he's doing. It's not a where as, a, as much as a who. That's what's primary. What parts of me is he going to work on? What's the answer to that? All parts of you. Well, I thought God just wanted the religious parts of me. Well, he does. But you can be religiously obedient and completely miss God's will altogether. Well, every time I come to church, they talk about money. I thought God all all in one was my money. Listen, it's way worse than that. He wants every bit of you. Not just your money. If you could buy him off, that would be easy. But he says crazy stuff like, if anyone really wants to follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross every day and follow. That's what Jesus said. So he is in the he is in the business. He, I promise you, he will get you from A to B. He will he will make sure that you land uh, where he wants you to land. But here's the deal: he's not as concerned about where you land as who you become along the way. So, here's what I want to say to you. Last week, I kind of riffed on you know God's will for your life. That that what is God's will for my life? It's too long of a question. What is God's will? Here's His will and His will for your life. You ready? Here it is: be like Jesus. That's it. You want to know what his will is? To be like Jesus. He, that you and I would be, as it says, conformed to the image of his son. Um, this is the very essence of our transformation. When we talk about transformation around here, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about becoming like Jesus. And um, in order to do that, what will he do? He will pay any price to make that happen. He will put you in multiple circumstances to make that happen. He will make sure that you get into the image of Jesus in every way and in every area of your life and in every situation. He, he wants to conform you to the image of Jesus. And I have a little thing here that's going to help. Anybody recognize the red egg? Silly putty. Dollar store, by the way, just in case you're wondering. One of the great things about Silly Putty is basically you can do whatever you want to with it, right? I mean, you can make a bowl out of it. You can make a worm out of it or anything like that. Uh, one of the other great things about it is you can take... Abby, you want to come help me? Everybody, come on. Give Abby a hand here. Yay for Abby. All right, Abby. Here's what I'm going to do. See this blue marker right here? show them what we're doing, okay? There's the image of Jesus right there. You didn't know that's what he looked like, but that's the truth. All right. You know how Silly Putty works? Yeah, you do. Do you think you can get the image of Jesus on this Silly Putty? 
You're not so sure, huh? I'm going to lower this just so you can try, okay? All right. What are you doing to it? You're pressing it down. What else are you doing? You're stretching it out. Keep going. You're doing great. Pressing it down, stretching it out. Anybody? Has ever happened to anybody else? Got it? Oh, a little bit more. Oh, oh, sealing the edges. I like that. You're doing great. How'd we do? Look at there. Can I go show somebody? Show Mr. Mark right there in the front row. See if he can see it. You're not sure who to show. That's all right. Do you see him? See him? You know why, Abby? Because you pressed and you pulled and you stretched and you... Here, you can have that. Silly putty, just for you. Yay, all right. <laughs> pressed, pull, stretched, press some more, seal the edges. God is willing to pay any price and willing to do anything to make sure that you and I, when we lay on the circumstances of our lives, the choices of our lives, the situations in our lives, he's willing to do those things in order that we would be conformed to the image of Jesus. He is willing to do that. Why? Because this is the very essence of what transformation means, is to be conformed um, to the image of Jesus. Um, th this is God's will for you and for your life. Now, to be clear, this doesn't say anything about who you're going to marry or what city you should live in or what job you should have. Um, why, why doesn't it? Because Jesus would know what to do in these circumstances. <laughs> I mean, it's a very practical thing. When you step into a situation or into a scenario, if you are in the process of being pressed and conformed in the image of Jesus to being transformed to be like him, you will know how to react in these kinds of things because you are like Jesus and you would know how, he's, how he would react. The old question uh, from maybe 20 or so years ago, what would Jesus do? Picking up on Charles Sheldon's book, In His Steps, uh, from, from long, long ago, WWJD, right? Jesus would know what to do. And so the, the goal then is to become like him so that we also know what to do. We would be a people who think like him, who act like him, who believe like him, who talk like him, who feel like him, who care like him, who serve like him, uh, who relate like him, who see like him, who hear like him, all of those things. And that comes out of an intimate relationship with God. And it's in that moment, in that intimate connection with him, that he shapes us and makes us uh, to be like him. So I'm going to say this one more time. It's already on the screen. It's not so much, God is not so much concerned about the where or the what. He is concerned. Don't get me wrong about that. You got a job decision to make, he's concerned about that. You got a relationship issue, he's concerned about that. It's not, he's not so concerned about that as much as he is who you are becoming. Who you are becoming. And in fact, that actually plays a significant role in, in where you end up. Jim Collins, the business guy, he takes note of this in one of his books and he says this. It's never wise to decide where you're going before you decide who you're going to be. That sounds like the Bible right there is what that sounds like. Last note on here, and I just want to say this to bring an encouragement here, that God's will is to be like Jesus, and there is a certainty factor that you can hold on to in the middle of this 
uh, there is a certainty factor. That's why he speaks of all of these things in, the, in verse 30 in the past tense. And those whom he, pre- he predestined, that's past tense. He also called, past tense. And those whom he called, past tense. He also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. There's a certainty factor, meaning what? That he's not going to fail in this project. Well, but you don't know me. Like, God could fail with me. Your mess is not so messy that God can't handle it and and see you through it. And better than that, and conform you to the image of Jesus even in the midst of it. This this then, if, if, if God is certain about this, it gives us the freedom to live in every moment that we experience, knowing that this is what God is doing, conforming us to the image of his son, um, and then gives space for Romans 8, 28, that verse that we read just a moment ago. We'll reread in just a second. But it gives space for that to actually be real. So back to verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. If God is certainly going to do this, if he is certainly not going to fail in these kind of things, then I'm free. I'm free from from, uh, uh, the pressures and the tyrannies of all of these circumstances and situations around. I can say, God, I know you're going to work this out somehow, some way. Now, when other people come up to you and they quote that verse right in the middle of your hurt and grief, as I talked to somebody this week who, uh, facing a situation, and some well-meaning person said to them, oh, you know, well, that just means God has something better for you. And the response was, all I really wanted to do was punch them. That's, that's right. We'll talk about honesty in just a second. I mean, there's some, there's some honesty in that. I'm grateful for that. But when we live according to this idea, this big idea, hey, listen, God's going to take me to a where. He's going to make sure that I get the what. But the, the biggest issue is not where or what. The biggest issue is the who. Who is he going to make me? Who am I gonna, going to become? When we embrace that, then all of these other circumstantial things, we can go, okay, God, I believe that you can work this kind of stuff out. I really do. It gives us a lot of freedom. So uh, I did some noodling this week and um, uh, on, on how to just flesh this out a little bit more and um, thought about turning to a, a teaching passage on this. But really, I just want to tell a story to you and let you see this along with me. So if, can you flip backwards in your Bible to the book of Acts? Like, what would this actually look like if the transformation uh, uh, that God desires for us... Um, if, if transforming is conforming, we are conformed to the image of Jesus. If that really took root in our lives uh, and we quit worrying, not, not totally, but so much about the what and the where and, and really focus on the who, what would this really look like? And I thought maybe this would just, instead of working on more teaching, this just would be a moment of inspiration. This is Acts chapter 16. One of my favorite stories uh, here in the book of Acts. And I'll just make some notes here as we go. Uh, the, the setting is uh, Paul um, is in the city of um, uh, Philippi, and what he's doing is um, he's doing what Paul, the apostle, does. Uh, he goes in, he shares the gospel with people, people come to know Jesus, and then he gathers them together, and uh, he has already um, seen some of this happen with a lady named Lydia. She was a businesswoman in the area, sold purple, um, and uh, the Lord, as it says, opened her heart to pay attention, and then we pick this up in verse 16. Um, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination, brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. Um, if transformation, I, I didn't want to skip this part, if transformation really took root in our lives, one of the things that we would see is that transformed people live by a different rhythm. Did you, you didn't skip over the very first part of 16, did you? 
as we were going to the place of prayer. Now, can you back up a few verses to verse 13? And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer and we sat down and spoke to the women, uh, some of the women who had come together there. There's a different rhythm to this. What were Paul and, and Silas doing? Paul and his crew. They were going to a place of prayer. They weren't um, you know, running off here and running off there. there was, this is what they did, and they did regularly. All throughout the book of Acts, you know what you see? You see them gathering on a regular basis um, to pray, to worship, to encourage one another, that kind of thing. Um, start to feel like Sunday or something. You know what I mean? Like This is a different rhythm. The demands of the culture will put all sorts of stuff on us. Some of us have commitments already this afternoon, all of that kind of stuff. I'm not, I'm not saying boo to any of that. I'm saying that people who are transformed live by a different rhythm. And part of the rhythm of that is taking time to be together with these people for prayer and encouragement and that kind of thing. I had a um, a couple weeks ago, had uh, lunch with a friend of mine who's a pastor over in the Sugarland area. We were reminiscing about some of the stuff, and one of the stories that uh, I remember he told um, was about the uh, first iPod he ever encountered. Anybody remember back that far for you? First iPod? Uh, you know, this will surprise some younger people, but back in the day, and I, you know, like when I was young, uh, uh, we, you know, like we had actual headphones, like legit over-the-top headphones, and you could tell if somebody was on their Walkman or not, or if you were, you know, really into it, on their Discman or not, uh, by whether or not their headphones were on, right? Well, what he said, one of the first times he encountered an iPod was at an airport, uh, and there was a cat who had a little bit longer hair, um, and, and the iPod was running up the back of his shirt, and he had the earbuds in, um, so longer hair, you get, you see it's covered, and he was jamming out. But nobody could tell what was going on. The overhead music was very different, so either the white boy really can't dance or he's walking to a completely different rhythm. And finally, they, he's like, hey, man, what's going on? He goes, oh, man, I got this iPod. Check it out. And, and, and it's the first time he had ever seen it. And sure enough, he had these little bitty earbuds in his ear, string going down the back. He had no idea what was going on. All he knew, all he knew was that this cat was walking and jamming to a completely different rhythm than everybody else. Walking according to a different rhythm than everybody else. Because something had come into his life, right? An iPod. In our case, in Paul's case, they were going to the place of prayer. They went outside the city to the riverside where they were going to meet for a place of prayer. Like there's just a different rhythm. Folks, listen to me. The culture will continue to push us toward its rhythm, and instead you and I get the opportunity to live according to a different rhythm. Secondly, uh, verse 17, the little slave girl you saw, verse 17, she followed Paul and us, crying out, these men, are servant, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And she kept doing this for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, how great is that? Um, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her um, in that very hour. Um, transformed people not only live in a different rhythm, but they do justice in the world. There's a little girl here bound up with something demonic, right? And Paul doesn't become, he says here clearly, Paul doesn't become greatly annoyed with the little girl. Because he didn't say to the little girl, I command you in the name. He spoke to the to the demon, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, because he didn't want a demon speaking on his behalf. So there was a, a, a situation that needed people uh, that needed the people of God to engage in justice, and guess what? He did. Folks, listen. There is a world 
hurting around us, broken around us, that needs the people of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, using the gifts that God has given us and the kingdom that we are a part of, they need that. They need that. And so you and I get the opportunity then to do justice in the world, to do right and good in the world. Um, Evidenced by, I can't help but pass this up, evidenced by the summer survival kits, um, we will help some kids um, who are facing food insecurity and all sorts of things this summer um, to do that. That's just one of the ways that we can be engaged in doing justice in the world. Here's the thing, though. uh, No matter what it is, transformed people do justice in the world. They do right and good in the world. Verse 19, but when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers, and when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave them orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted not just a few blows, but how many? Many blows upon them. They threw them into the prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison, or the bottom of the bottom, if you will, and fastened their feet in stocks. Transformed people live in a different rhythm, amen to that. They do justice in the world, amen to that. And picking up on a theme from last week, they also find themselves in trouble. They encounter um, opposition Why? Because they're about the business of doing good, and inevitably, um, we're pushing against the tide, right? We're swimming upstream. This is not abnormal, folks. Church family, listen to me one more time. This is not abnormal. If you think, I'm not sure I should be encountering this kind of opposition um, as I'm doing good in the world, here's what I would say to you. You may very well be right in the middle of God's will, not swimming out on your own. You may be dead in the middle of it. Because people do oppose. People do oppose um, God in the things that he wants uh, in the world. Um, Fourthly, verse uh, 25. Just picture this. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. They had been beaten within an inch of their life, stripped down, put in stocks in the inner prison, all sorts of craziness happening there. And what were they doing at midnight? Not sleeping, mind you. They were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Um, I just I want to note this, that, that transformed people praise God despite the circumstances. Why? Because God is at work, no matter what the circumstances are, going to work things. He's going to work everything for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Paul and Silas are in there. Now, question, what were they singing? Can I just take a guess? It wasn't, oh, happy day. Happy. I doubt that that was on their lips. I mean, if they're breathing through the broken ribs and whatever else they might have had. There are moments to sing that song. I'm I'm not denigrating that song. I'm saying that there is a place for you to be honest with God with whatever uh, is going on in your life. There's a place to be honest with God about that. Um, God is not scared of your honesty. He's not scared of your doubt. He's not scared of you saying, God, hey, this is the only song that I can muster right now in the midst of my circumstances. But my guess, if it's me, I'm guessing, and I think we're going to sing this song here in a minute because I heard the band uh, singing it a while ago, that Paul looked at Silas like, it is well. Silas is over here in the stocks. It is well with my soul. Come on, come on, Silas. Come on, with my soul. That's right, come on. 
It is well. Come on, Silas. And people start listening, right? It is from three cells down. Somebody starts singing to with my soul. Like in my mind, I think that's the way that that went. Why? Because singing and praise has this effect to say, hey, listen, our circumstances stink, but they don't have ultimate say over my life. It's not what and where. It's who. Who am I becoming in the middle of this? Uh, Fifth thing here. um, uh, Verse 26. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. Uh, Not every time, but sometimes, um, sometimes the circumstances just can't hold the spiritual dynamic. It's happening. And immediately all the doors were open. Everyone's bonds were unfastened. Verse 27, when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. Transformed people carry an eternal perspective. And what is that eternal perspective reflected in Paul right there? What is it? That, he, that the, the jailer himself, he was worth more than Paul's pain or Silas's pain or their right to get out of jail. If I'm honest and it's me, jails are open, singing praise, jails are, doors are open, I'm splitting, I'm out, see ya. Hobbling, whatever, dragging, whatever I need to do, I'm going to try to get out. Paul and Silas are like, wait, 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 don't hurt yourself. Because they cared more about that man's soul than their circumstances. They realized that God may may have very well sent them into that prison to get a hold of that guy right there. That's an eternal perspective. Uh, Can I just ask a very practical question here just for a moment? Is there somebody in your life who is about to draw the sword? You know what I mean? Like, and maybe, just maybe what they need is for you, to, with an eternal perspective, to say, hey, listen, your soul is worth more, worth more than my discomfort right now. Last thing, if this were to really happen, if we were to uh, really experience this in our lives, what, what would it be? Verse 29, um, the jailer called for lights, rushed in, trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, saved? What are you talking about? Say, you like, like, get on about saving me. I'm the one who got beaten unjustly. Like, get me the heck out of here. Isn't that what he said? Oh, that's not what he said, was it? Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Verse 31. Uh, and they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. Transform people engage in selfless ministry. They engage in selfless ministry. Paul could have demanded his rights. Go wake up the people who threw me in here. I'm a Roman citizen. You didn't have any right to do that. He brought it up later, folks. It's not like he let people off the hook. But for this moment right here, here was a guy who was hurting. Here's a guy with an important question. And Paul engages in selfless ministry. Are there moments like that in your life this week? I bet there will be. Then what, what do you do with all of that? You, you don't get there. You, you don't get to this kind of picture, this kind of experience without the transforming work of Jesus in your life. It all begins at the cross and the tomb, folks. It all begins with the liberty from our sin that Jesus offers and the life that lasts forever that he promises to everyone who puts 
It's not a religious exercise. This is not one of those moments where you say, oh, well, I'm going to try to be, try to do better. Uh, I'm sure I can, God. I'm sure I can do better. This is not that moment. The moment that we need, every one of us, is to surrender to say, God, here I am. I'm giving everything I got to you here. I'm laying it all out before you. You do what you want to in me. Now, that's true if you're a follower of Jesus in here. I'm sure that there are areas that you may, you may need that prayer right there. And if you're not, if you're not a Christian, you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, a follower of Jesus. This is the great opportunity for you to turn from your sin and put your trust in Jesus and say, here is here, God, here I am. Please do something in me. Please do something in me. So I'm going to pray and we'll take a minute um, to respond.